Hello. Welcome to the third Health on the Line. Thanks again for the positive response to episode one and two with Rob Webster and Ifti Majid. If you like the show, please tell other people or leave a review in your podcast app. On our next edition, I'll be heading northeast to speak to Fiona Adamson, who's chair of our Primary Care Federation network. But this week, I'll be talking to a leader from just down the road, Croydon to be exact. One of the characteristics of the NHS over the coming period will be the need to deal with the continuing impact of COVID, as well as addressing the major backlog of care that has built up. This is the reason that we and our sister organisation, NHS Providers, have been saying that the recent allocation of government resources for health may not be enough to do both jobs. But in Croydon, they've led the way in thinking about how simultaneously to address both these challenges. Let's find out more. New ideas. Big debates. Meeting the change makers. Transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. I'm delighted to be joined by Matthew Kershaw, Chief Executive, Croydon Health Services NHS Trust and place-based leader for health. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Uh, good morning, Matthew. I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. I've just done my cold water swimming, but I forgot my goggles, so it wasn't very pleasant. But you you haven't done your running today, have you, Matthew? No, not yet. Uh, I'll be going later. I'm uh, on a run streak um, and uh, I'm about 410 days consistently running. So I'll definitely be going later. It's funny this isn't this kind of addiction that one gets to physical exercise. How do you think you would cope if, I don't know, you got an injury and you weren't able to run for a week? Um, good question. Uh, I think I'd find it really difficult, uh, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure I'd find a way of trying to struggle on for as long as possible, because I do find it a really important part of mindfulness for the day. The, the thing is, I, I, I think, Matthew, it is really important if you're a leader that you attend to your own well-being, because if you don't feel good about yourself, it's harder to behave well towards other people, isn't it? Oh, I completely agree. These jobs uh, are difficult jobs uh, and they're important jobs. And you've got to be, I think, uh, true to yourself to you know, put yourself in the best position you can to do those jobs each day. And so, yeah, I, I think it's uh, whatever it is that you find that does it for you. Uh, I think it's important that you maintain that. So you talked about the challenging nature of the job. How are things in Croydon right now? Uh, I mean, we're in a uh, uh, the start, I think, of, a, of another period of, of real challenge, and uh, we're, we're seeing significant emergency pressures right across our system. I'm the place-based leader for health here in Croydon, uh, so I have a, a view on primary care, uh, our community, uh, and acute services that we run in the trust, uh, and all aspects of that are seeing significant emergency pressures. And of course, at the same time, we're trying to deal with the elective care uh, backlog, as well as supporting our staff, managing the vaccine programme uh, and transitioning to uh, more formal integrated care arrangements. And Croydon's been, I mean, everywhere has been hit hard by COVID, but Croydon's been really 
hard hit by COVID. Presumably, you've still got quite a few patients uh, in hospital. But but overall, it's been a, a, a particular challenge for your part of London, I think. Uh, that's absolutely right. It's um, I mean, we're a very, very diverse borough here in Croydon. Uh, we're large. We're nearly 400,000 people, um, over 100 languages spoken in the borough, uh, and uh, significant uh, differences um, in those populations uh, and significant uh, elements of deprivation as well. Uh, and so I think all of those things combined meant that Croydon very much uh, got hit hard in both the first wave and the second wave of COVID. And uh, we're now in a situation, I think, of pretty steady but significant levels of COVID. So we've had between 50 uh, and 55, 60 uh, inpatients with COVID uh, for the past a month or more um, and the prevalence in the borough um, uh, is similarly you know 250 to 300 per 100,000 it's a big number of people who are now you know with Covid when 18 months 19 months ago we didn't have that at all. And tell, tell me about the challenges of the vaccination program presumably you've had to do a lot of work to reach out in such a diverse community to make sure that the vaccine message and the vaccination itself gets out across that community yeah very much so i'm the uh sro with uh, a colleague from the uh, southwest london ccg for the southwest london vaccination program and um, uh, between us and our fantastic team we've uh, i think done a really uh, good job uh, in in getting the message out uh, around vaccination the vaccination rates for our population across southwest london uh, relatively speaking are, are very strong and we have used local uh, leaders uh, whether they be community leaders particularly in croydon uh, the churches the mosques uh, and such like we've also used crystal palace football club for example um uh, which obviously has a, a strong connection to our population. And we're now getting into uh, the colleges. We're waiting to hear, of course, about uh, the 12 to 15-year-olds and uh, are planning now for uh, that eventuality should JCVI go forward with that. And what do you think, Matthew, that we've learnt from the work we've had to do on vaccination in terms more broadly of the question of reaching out to those parts of the population who may not be using the health service in the way that they we might want them to be and the way that they might need to be? Uh, I think the, the point that you raise is really interesting. Um, I think what the vaccination programme and COVID has shown us uh, is that part of our job as a health service is to not say, well, this is how it's going to be and you'll have to fit with it, but actually us to think a little bit more about the way that the populations are and fit our services to the population um, because uh, they're the population in need and we shouldn't be running the service uh, for our convenience that they then have to work to. It should be to the way around. Yeah, I want to come back to, to, to some of those themes slightly later, Matthew, but I, I wanted to, to, to first explore the decision that was made last year to set up an elective centre uh, in Croydon University Hospital, something that enabled you to combine recovery of elective and indeed cancer services with responding to the second wave of the pandemic. So 
Tell me about the background that led to that decision to set up that elective centre in the hospital. Yeah, we um, could see uh, the situation with uh, COVID. When COVID first hit, you know, our our whole focus, not just in Croydon, but across southwest London, where we work really closely and collaboratively with our colleagues, you know, our focus had to be on responding to something that we'd never in our lifetime experienced before. um, And all hands were to that particular challenge. But also, there's a lot of patients who have elective care needs. And our job isn't just, just to be a responder to COVID. We always described it in Croydon uh, as we're not the coronavirus health services, we're the Croydon health services. And that was sort of the start of the, so if that's what we're saying, we've got to make that good. Uh, and so uh, one of our uh, clinical directors, the clinical director of surgery, Miss um, Stella Vig, um, was uh, came up with the concept of uh, sort of separating out or separating off uh, a part of our site um, to create the uh, what we called the hospital within a hospital, and the Croydon Elective Centre was born from that idea. For me, this is a is a remarkable thing that you've got the second wave rising i think for most people just being able to deal with that because it's not as if we knew what was going to happen how big how deep that wave was going to be and at that time you find the headspace your team finds the headspace and the ambition to say no actually we can do something about elective recovery by setting up this hospital within the hospital there must have been some people who felt that that this was too much, that this was a strange time to be trying to do something else beyond dealing with this enormous COVID crisis. Uh, the timeline is we set the elective centre up uh, sort of post first wave as we got into that period where things did calm a little. Um, uh, and then as the second wave struck, um, we made a decision to continue it. Um, clearly, people can see that backlog and it's a you know when we talk about a backlog it's patients it's people who are waiting for procedures um, rather than numbers um, so there were people waiting uh, and we felt it was important uh, to you know, do our bit to try to minimize um, the weights that these folks would have and so there were people who were encouraging but there was also some nervousness and some skepticism that we could carry on in the way in the second wave and of course we had to make sure that we were creating enough capacity for the emergency uh, work and the covid work um, uh, and that we weren't going ahead with you know in inverted commas very routine patients i'm not sure you know, for the people who are waiting, it's very routine. But you know what I mean? There are various levels of, uh, of urgency and priority. So we had to be careful not to go to very uh, routine patients when people elsewhere were struggling to get in their cancer patients and their very urgent. So we made sure that we were offering capacity to our colleagues across Southwest London. So this isn't just a Croydon initiative. There's benefits here right across the Southwest of London, which is our, is our integrated care system footprint. So this resulted, this initiative, the hospital within hospital, had real impacts in terms of your performance on both electric recovery and getting cancer services back on, on track. Tell me, in what way do you think the culture that you've tried to develop in Croydon was one where an initiative like this could be could be taken 
forward. You're absolutely right. There's a cultural aspect to this as well. And it's quite a connected place, Croydon, in lots of ways. And it's not that there aren't challenges and, uh, you know, different views across uh, Croydon. Of course there are, but it feels uh, connected. Uh, And I think one of uh, the things that have enabled the work that we've done is that, right, well, we've got a problem, we've got an issue here. What can we do collectively to address it and I think that is part of the culture of Croydon and one of the things as a leader is you've got to both reflect the underlying culture and build on it and obviously work hard to try to improve it Uh, and that's what we've tried to do that's what I've tried to do. Uh, And you know collaboration is a long game isn't it I mean building those relationships sustaining those relationships so that at a point of crisis or innovation they're there for you so Tell us about the One Croydon Alliance, because that goes back to 2017, I think. Is that right? It, it does, yeah. Um, so the One Croydon Alliance uh, is sort of an encapsulation of uh, the desire in Croydon uh, to work as uh, as integrated as we possibly can. And we have a local authority, uh, Croydon Borough Council, uh, and a Cute and Community Trust uh, and in Old Money as ECG in Croydon that were all coterminous. And I, I often describe this uh, to colleagues elsewhere a bit like a family. When that's working well, then that's an amazing opportunity uh, and you can make fantastic things happen. However, uh, a number of years ago, pre the One Croydon Alliance, there were real challenges in Croydon. Croydon has not always been a paragon of, uh, of close working. Um, but uh, uh, as you say, back in 2017, there was uh, work done that basically concluded that, look, Croydon has it in its hands to do things better uh, for itself, but it has to work together to do that. Uh, working against each other is no answer. And at that point, uh, to be fair to the people who were there at the time, some of whom are still around, uh, our chairman, uh, Mike Bell, the trust and our lead uh, GP, Dr. To Agnello Fernandez, both have got long histories in Croydon, uh, and uh, they, amongst others, uh, supported this development of what's called the One Croydon Alliance, which is the local authority, uh, the health bodies, um, voluntary sector uh, working together uh, to integrate our services uh, to sort of rub away some of the boundaries between organisations. What the NHS and uh, the broader care system is now trying to do nationally with it, with integrated care systems, uh, we think it's validation of the Croydon approach. So in the papers with the settlement for health and the announcement of the social care reforms um, a a few days ago, the government has promised a a white paper on integration. So there's going to be more expectation of collaboration between uh, health services and local government. One of the things that's remarkable about the progress you've made in Croydon is that for quite a lot of the time since you set up the alliance, the local authority has been effectively in dire straits financially hasn't it so how's it been possible to collaborate with a with a, with a local authority on the verge of bankruptcy um yeah i mean it's not not straightforward uh, i would add however that at the early part of the alliance um uh, it was elements of the health 
service, I'd say, that were probably more financially challenged than the council. So uh, Croydon Health Services, the trust within Croydon that, that I'm chief executive of, um, uh, historically has not had, has, has not uh, benefited from easy financial situation itself. Um, uh, the CCG um, uh, put a lot of work in with the uh, trust to try to uh, help address that and uh, one of the massive benefits of what we do here in Croydon is we have a joint executive team so I have a joint chief financial officer who oversees um, uh, in old money the CCG um, uh, financial situation as well as the trust's financial situation now that uh, was ahead of its time um, that sort of does rub away at, at the purchaser provider split and I'm somebody who's worked in the health service a long time and have definitely maximized the benefits that the purchaser provider split I think brought in its early days but in, in the current context we are now in uh, I'm an absolute 100% supporter of uh, that being molded into a different arrangement and that integration coming to pass so I think the health side has been through its challenges and the council stood by and supported the the, the health teams at that point and yes you're right more latterly the council has had a very significant uh, financial challenge um, and what we did as a health team uh, was stand absolutely four square with them because uh, in a collaboration, in a partnership, in an integrated way of working, you're only as good as all of each of the partners. Uh, and if the council was going to get into a even more difficult financial situation, then ultimately that's going to undermine what we're trying to do for the population that we serve. And so it was a, you know, it was a big decision to make, but we uh, believe absolutely we made the right decision to uh, stand, as I say, absolutely four square with the council and do everything we could to help them. Um, uh, and I think that's borne fruit uh, and has maintained the relationship and allows us now to continue to to push forward, notwithstanding the fact that it is very, very difficult. Their financial challenges haven't gone away and they're likely to get probably more difficult rather than less. Uh, and ours in the NHS are not going to get easier either, are they? Uh, despite the uh, excellent settlements been reached, uh, the demands are massive. And therefore, you know, the next few years, I think financially uh, is going to still be pretty exacting. Uh, but I think we've shown we can uh, uh, work through that and I hope that we continue to do so. So I already sense a kind of pushback in certain quarters against ICSs, against the new way of working, and a kind of suggestion that this will just be layers of new bureaucracy. And I want to explore a couple of the, of the ways, Matthew, in which you've used collaboration in a very focused way. So first of all, the focus on efficiency and quality has been at the heart of what you do. It's not just been collaboration for collaboration's sake. There's this very strong emphasis on how can you do things better and how can you improve quality of outcome yeah uh, th that's absolutely right uh, i mean i'm uh, other people will have who may be listening to this might have heard me say this before so in which case apologies but i think it's worth a retelling i i describe sort of integration needing a number of things um uh, uh, and it sort of responds to your point that people say, well, it's just bureaucracy, really. Um, and there is a risk that this is lots of, you know, people like me sitting historically in hotel rooms, now on Teams meetings, uh, talking about how they, you know, we run new 
governance systems. Well, that's not what integration is about. In- integration is about actually doing things differently for the people that we look after, uh, our staff and most importantly, our patients and the population at large. Uh, and so you need to have strong relationships. You need to have a vision about what you're trying to do and that that's collectively owned. Um, you need to be crucially actually making some things different. So you're mm. absolutely right. We focused on quality and efficiency. Um, we've focused on trying to provide services that respond to the specific needs of parts of our population. Uh, we've got a system called the Integrated Community Networks, um, which is a, a pilot of uh, a service which is uh, multi-organisational, focused around a population of fifty to 60,000 people um, in Thornton Heath, which is one of our most deprived areas. And that will engage with the population as much about housing um, as it will do about their health needs uh, because how do you split those things up we know that you can't Um, so that's about integration delivering actual change on the ground and then lastly you do need a governance system that keeps you in the right place because you know it's taxpayers money it's important that we have a proper governance system around it but the governance system should be the last thing that we get in place not the first thing and there is a risk of course when we turn a white paper over to integrated care that the governance thing becomes the first thing that everybody does and and we've tried hard to um, keep governance as a central tenant of what we've done but as a sort of supporting uh, uh, work stream as opposed to the only thing that we're doing and another thing which you've kind of referred to is that you're, you're you're trying systematically to move away from a health system which is based on incentivizing activity to one that focuses on population health and and that's going to be absolutely critical isn't it in the medium term if if these new systems are to work it has to be because we're focusing on population health outcomes not just the amount of activity the health service undertakes uh, uh, that's uh, absolutely fundamental. Um, but, uh, you know, I definitely remember in my early career uh, listening to, you know, chief executives at the time um, talking about, you know, the size of their organisation in beds and in activity as sort of a mark of success. Um, and uh, that, that I wasn't, I'm not now saying, well, they were wrong at that time. That was what was at that time. Um, uh, you know, I was uh, involved in national projects uh, for the department, uh, reducing waiting times. Well, we're back to some of that in the elective centre, but uh, a lot of that was driven by payment by results, for example, and that had its moment but we're in a different world now uh, and uh, we absolutely shouldn't be talking about like well success is driven by the numbers of patients that you treat Um, it's absolutely about uh, looking at the wider population health uh, measures Um, and you know in a population as diverse uh, and in parts as deprived as Croydon that is even more important um, because uh, if we don't do that, then we know what what will happen is that those uh, inequalities will get greater uh, and the demands on the service will increase to a point at which it will be increasingly difficult for us to respond in any sort of effective way for that population or indeed uh, for a financially uh, viable 
system uh, for the NHS and care in Croydon. And I think one of the challenges that we, we don't talk about often is if this is going to be the way we work, it needs to go all the way up the system. So you're talking about working with the local authority, you're talking about focusing on housing and employment and issues like this as you think about population health. Yet that's not how Whitehall works. Uh, so one of the challenges of this new way of working is that whether it's NHSE or the Department of Health and Social Care, they need to be collaborating across Whitehall because population health needs to be a cross-Whitehall initiative, not just something that is pursued by the, the health department uh, and the health service. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree, Matthew, I think. Uh, you know, there are, of course, uh, differences in, in, you know, the different departments of state and there are differences uh, when you look at the local authority versus the health service uh, in a place like Croydon. You know, our budgets come down different ways. They're voted for in different ways. They're uh, governed in different ways. And the democratic accountability of councils is different to the democratic position that the health service has. All of those things are true. Um, But if we're going to properly integrate, uh, then you have to do it starting off at place uh, and neighbourhoods, as we're trying to do in Croydon. And we've got a long way to go. We are nowhere near the end of our journey. And we'll have have missteps along the way, I'm sure of it. Um, But we're doing, I think, the right thing in the right way, or certainly trying to, rubbing away some of those historic boundaries, I think is important, it's necessary, but it has to be done with care, because you can certainly, you know, rub away things quite quickly uh, in one sense, and create other difficulties and problems. So with care, but I would say, uh, with clarity over what we're trying to do, uh, I wouldn't disagree with you. And I'm a relative newcomer to the health service. I think one thing that I'm still wrestling with, and I think it may be because it's so different from place to place, but is the relationship between systems and places. So we've talked about Croydon, you and I, most of this conversation. That's a place. But you've also talked about South West London. Do you have a sense of what needs to be the relationship between the system and the place? I mean, the, the, the only kind of thought I have here is that system leaders need to have a kind of value-adding proposition. So ICSs, wherever they are, need to be able to explain what it is that system working at ICS level does that wouldn't otherwise happen. Yeah. um, My short answer to your question is that systems definitely have a role. They obviously have a coordinating role um, uh, between places. Um, They also have a role uh, in... uh, supporting and taking forward work that can only be done or best done at a system level. So if you look at workforce, for example, if every single place was sort of putting a little fence around itself and saying, okay, well, we're going to look after our workforce, then there's a danger in that, that places then become very competitive against each other. And ultimately, that creates less value than a more collaborative system-wide approach. And the same might be true on digital as a, as a concept. Estates is another area where I think there is real merit uh, of systems actually doing some things at a larger scale. And then, as I say, there is the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the role of coordination and system leadership, which I don't think should be undermined at all. I think the uh, ICS uh, chief execs and uh, the 
uh, integrated boards and partnerships that are going to be established definitely have a role. What I would say, though, is that needs to be kept as thin as possible um, with the most energy put into place-based working, because that's where the real innovation and change happens is in neighbourhoods and places, because uh, people who work close to, you know, delivery of services no the best way uh, of getting change is by asking the people who are actually doing the work i say on my staff induction every week um, you guys are going to come up with best ideas for how we improve what we do not me sitting in my office or me talking to my executive director colleagues it's the teams out there who are best placed to identify the need for and the ways that we can change to improve and i think that's true at for neighbourhoods, places uh, below systems. But I would definitely support uh, the creation of systems, uh, but in the way that I've described. And my sort of final point on it would be uh, we, we integrate sort of naturally, I think, in Croydon. That's what we're trying to do all the time. But that is not at odds with system working because there are certain things that can only be done at a system level. And if I use an NHS example, um, I always say to people, the interventional radiology challenge in southwest London is not going to be solved by a place-based arrangement in Croydon, because we're the only people who are thinking about interventional radiology in Croydon is the hospital, because we're the only people who employ those folk. So we need to work with our colleagues at St. George's, at Epsom St. Helier, at Kingston to solve that particular challenge. So it's about collaborating on a bigger footprint and integrating locally. I think if you get both of those things working well, then that's when you can really, really make positive progress. And that's why I'm so supportive of provider collaboration, one of the new parts of the white paper, alongside uh, integration in places. Those two things are definitely not running against each other. We have to find ways of doing both at the same time. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Matthew Kershaw, thank you so much and good luck for the winter ahead. Thanks very much, Matthew. All the best to you too. This episode of Health on the Line is part of our new Integration in Action initiative, which brings together podcasts, events and case studies from our members on themes affecting the health and care system. For further insights into elective recovery and how systems are working together, look out for our forthcoming report. And to hear more from Matthew Kershaw about how Croydon is tackling the challenge of elective recovery, sign up for our breakfast briefing on the 30th of September at nhsconfed.org forward slash events.